Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the British comedy rewatch podcast with me and as always, I don't know who me is, I should probably say who me yeah, is, with me, Bobby, you. <laughs> and, and, and as always, my brother Jamie. Good evening, Jamie. Hi, it's me and to him. Uh, <laughs> here. Yeah, good evening, uh, good morning even, uh, whatever. <laughs> it's funny, I've been listening to some of our old episodes just really... Um, randomly because i think i was looking up something for research and then got into a bit of a two-parter and uh one of them was your birthday which was funny when we had some of the other guys on to do little sound bites and nice uh, geddes comes on and goes hey jamie bobby yeah good morning good evening whatever it's like we had loads of different things that we what do you call them like a catchphrase or whatever but never really went anywhere with it yeah we've never been great necessarily maintaining uh sort of formats we got asked the other day by a friend of ours whatever happened to the old stick and twist uh theme that was going to be a thing i think at one point we'd considered the idea that if we found a show we liked we might watch more of it even for pod but that was abandoned almost instantly and i think even since we're both just so busy that even the idea of just carrying on to watch a show in our spare time has pretty much fallen by the wayside I still think I, there could be a universe where I have the time to watch some more um, uh, One Foot in the Grave, but but it's not this one. <laughs> um, funny you say about being busy, because this is probably the first time since we started this um, series format of mixed um, agenda where we've actually recorded before a month. We're actually ahead of schedule. Uh, we've been a bit in on a bit of a roll. Um, we've nailed out that Christmas special. We've had some um, other episodes turned out quite quickly. Uh, the office is is quite digestible, so um, yeah, we're on, on on a bit of an early one. I don't know if this sort of changes the the monthly on the first Wednesday format. There was actually a format there somewhere, but um, again, it's been quite loose. But I think maybe we'll just try and up the game when we can. We're getting quite a good little backlog of library there, which is fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you call a week and a half being like massively ahead of the game to the point of <laughs> announcement, then yeah, sure, we're doing absolute great guns. We have rec- this is the third time we've recorded in less than a month, which is quite incredible because we only did the uh, Christmas special barely a week before Christmas, and then yeah, straight away just before New Year doing the. Uh, doing stuck and, and now going again just a couple of weeks later so yeah go us give us a big pat on the back um <laughs> we've got a big one today um i think it's a pretty uh like pivotal comedy i really struggle to age it right because okay it came out in in what was it 2001 i think it was yeah so this is this is 20 years old incredible yeah that's the thing it it really doesn't feel very old at all because it does, it's so it, it like, does in in the same breath. It's it feels old. I mean, I watched it on Amazon Prime, um, and it's still okay. like low quality. It's not HD, and uh, it it does very feel very like late nineties, early two thousands. But it also doesn't feel like it was twenty years ago in my life, which is no exactly right. It feels so like zeitgeisty for us. Having I mean, when it first came out. To be honest, I was too young to appreciate it. This is something I I learned to love, kind of years later at kind of college and then and subsequently uni. Um, yeah, I suppose you already would have been like what twelve, thirteen years old, hey? 
Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, about uh, just ju- literally just becoming a teenager. So kind of too young to appreciate it first time round. But it's st- I think because Ricky Gervais has been so active throughout my entire adult life, and he looks basically the same age. I mean, he's aged like 10, 20 years, but he's not like he was young and is now old. He's like he was, you know, late 30s then and is now late 50s. There's not, they're not huge jumps. So it feels kind of current still because of, because of everyone that's in it. The same with, um, you know, Martin Freeman. Okay, he's a bit younger then, but it doesn't feel like any of these people were babies then and are now old men. It feels weirdly current despite being quite old. I think it just feels current because of the sort of scope and breadth of comedies that we've watched. Like, we're very much at home with, you know, 80s and early 90s comedy. They they, they feel like a bit more of a time warp, I guess. But this, this, I don't think it feels current to me. I think it definitely feels very much of like a... It feels about 20 years old, which is weird to admit, but it does feel like it belongs a little bit in the past. Yeah, but in a past that I remember really well, and I think that might be part of the difference. Like, I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I worked briefly in an office in, in kind of, you know, 2006, 2007. Uh, I know you worked a lot in an office, um, you know, sort of around sort of 2010, that kind of time. So there's a lot of things here which are very relatable, and that despite all the old technology um still really hold true so let's just talk about a little bit of um trivial stuff so um this series uh as we said was um 20 years old it actually started uh, as a homemade video by steve merchant when he was trying to get a job at the bbc and they ended up getting wind of it and essentially uh sort of promoted it to get a whole series going um, which is really cool. A lot of some of the original jokes from that short are found in the episode. Um, this is no small series. Uh, it's the first British sitcom in 25 years to be nominated for a Golden Globe and the first ever to win it. It also holds the highest record for non-feature DVD sales in the UK. Like, it is just mad how it just kind of took UK by storm sort of during its release and uh, over the course of the subsequent two series it was it was massive and it still is kind of like massive yeah absolutely it was such a a pivotal show it uh, it was impossible to not be very aware of it and even if you're not a fan people know the key characters i mean david brent isn't absolutely infamous comedy comedy character now like he's right up there with like basil faulty in terms of just comedy characters that people know and the the way this kind of it, it's such a crazy story how it came to be you know that the fact that the documentary style is kind of an accident of just convenience you mm. know it was done that way because it was quick and fast not because it was necessarily the best way to deliver the material they thought it was just the only way to do it in the time and on the budget and and that to be so pivotal in what it then becomes is is crazy and it, i did hear them talking about how that there were so many documentaries at the time these kind of fly in the wall type things the you know, boss swap and wife swap and, you know, mm-hmm. someone goes in and 
does some crappy documentary. So this was really, really the zeitgeisty whole Big Brother at the time. thing was just massive, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, hidden camera, like just getting average people and giving them quite a lot of camera time was a huge thing at this period, for sure. Hmm. Um, I'll probably mention this a bit later in my notes, but it's going to be hard not to make some comparisons to me uh, against the UK office, although it's not really something that our, our pod has really gone into. I have recently started the American office and sort of three or four seasons deep. So there's definitely a couple of bits where I'm going to make some comparisons to our sort of UK um, alternative. Uh, but I'm not going to turn on it too heavy, but I, I couldn't help but sort of get involved in that a little bit. Um, and I think it would be interesting to discuss sort of the differences in UK versus US comedy and how they sort of choose to... Um, uh, choose to produce and, and act that out so that that's quite interesting the fact that this show spawned that massive show which is a, again one of the most popular comedies ever like it's it's kind of almost right up there with friends like it's mm. probably second but not far behind in terms of being massive so yeah it, it's it has to get mentioned of course yeah i think the whole thing is just so popular because it's so much like you're saying it's like ghosty like so many people work in the office, you know, in, in this sort of modern days of of uh, work, you know, it's this it's been a very big sort of office environment um, style stuff for a long time as everything's just got more technological and more uh, grindy on the computer. You know, the setups have changed over a while, but it's just such mass appeal for people just to be able to go, oh, yeah, this is the office environment that that I'm used to and the stupid twats that <laughs> inhabit it, I can really relate to. Yeah, it's a real advert for working from home, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I think it's about time we got into the intro. What do you reckon? Yes, uh, let's do that. We'll play you the uh, intro. It's a very well-known song, um, but in case you haven't heard it, here it is. So the theme tune, um, it's a bit of an interesting choice. So we'll listen to Handbags and Glad Rags. At least it's a, a, a slightly, um, not a cappella, what's the opposite? Uh, instrumental version that, of that for the intro. Um, but it does play the lyrics at the end of the series. But uh, it's something that seems wildly, when you sort of look at it, it's like, 
and that doesn't really have much to do with the series and it seems like a really random choice but it does just fit so well and it is so synonymous with the series um there's something about it it's kind of a match made in heaven but i'm not really sure why yeah i think it really really fits it's the the intro itself just generally the images and everything is great at like the way it's uh sort of uh, uh, stealing out the out of the mouth of, of martin freeman but he says it's like it's cinematically shot yet ridiculously dreary and, and that is like this really nice uh like juxtaposition of like slowly panning around roundabouts and looking up at these (laughs) incredibly ugly office buildings with the music it's all very melancholic Uh, and it fits it would 100% be an intro to this if it was a real documentary um which is obviously what they're going for uh and it's great I think it fits beautifully and um yeah the way they have it just instrumental on the intro and then the lyrics on the outro I like that as well again Mm. just subtle choice but the, the correct one definitely yeah we should say about this whole dreary thing so uh, this was actually filmed um right next to uh one of the big studios where they have loads of different filmers going on but they filmed it in the actual office that was adjacent to the studio so it's from what i can understand like it was a legitimate sort of working office that they kind of set up in and shot yeah i mean 100 percent is you you could just tell by looking at it like it would be it would take so much time to dress somewhere to look that much like an office (laughs) with all the small detailing that there is like there's stuff on the walls and stuff that's just all perfect Uh, because it's quite it's quite messy those offices Mm. grow quite organically over time with just tat and this kind of already has it all in a way that's just really good it feels very lived in massive stains on the carpet as well that exactly right like quite unsightly yeah and, you know none of the you know none of the chairs match and the desks are all like messy and yeah it just it just looks great straight off the bat and of course the the setting which comes up almost instantly it's in the uh in the intro in the um in the intro credits is it's it's filmed in slough which is just a the, a great location choice it's just there's so many towns around that area of kind of outskirts of London, like we're from one, Basingstoke, Slough, you know, Reading, Staines, Milton Keynes. There are just all these kind of pretty crappy uh, London overspill towns just full of people in offices hoping to get a better office job. <laughs> um, and, you know, like Ali G was set in Staines for good reason. Milton Keynes always gets a really hard time as just this manufacturer town. Uh, and Reading and Basingstoke don't get it any easier. There's plenty of others, of course, as well. But Slough is such an ugly name, <laughs> but it is probably the perfect choice of the lot. Yeah, it's uh, quite far away from Hollywood, hey? But <laughs> yeah, it, and of course, if we're going to mention a couple of things about the the US version, I, I can't remember if it's the street or the building. I think it's the street is called like Slough Road in the oh, American really? office as a oh. homage. And it, nice. Yeah, I don't think it's the building. I think it's the street. I can't remember which. But yeah, there is an homage to that. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I, I guess a bit of a pre-caveat. Um, we were talking about this kind of exploding and being massive. And I, I think that that has probably had a reasonable hand into some of my reservations about the series. Um, Bobby sort of alluded a, a bit to it earlier. This 
this is not my favourite series. I can massively appreciate it for lots and lots of reasons. It's place and time, it's comedy. I I do really, really like and respect Gervais, which I think looking back on it probably does it does it a good favour in my eyes. But the fact that it was so um so massive it's like when you know you really like a band and the the band goes massively commercial and it's just everywhere you kind of get turned off by it I, I think that's kind of had a bit of a hand in it but from from my perspective I'm probably going to find things to bash this about a bit more than other series that are going to but I'm going to try my best not to be a broken record and sort of say the same things over over and over again which I'm kind of a bit worried and conscious that that I will do but unfortunately it's the things I don't like are the things that that continuously happen throughout the series um but I do think there are lots of really good stuff about this series um and that's the caveat to say that the very first scene <laughs> <laughs> basically when we get start when we get started we um we sort of follow Brent around and, you know, I, I don't know if I can just assume that everyone knows this series and has seen it, but Brent is, you know, just alarmingly uh, Brent from the very, very start. Even more so in these first couple of scenes, I felt like it was like over embellished, like there was just constant sneers and constant like little things that, come up throughout the series but in this first few scenes it was just like really intense and it just kind of put me a little bit um like this is gonna be a bit of a slog or a struggle like like oh man i i I could not have had more of a different experience like the whole show is beyond parody because it's it has been you know repeated so much and everyone is aware of it you know everyone can put a brent face but even with that, it's almost like, like you say, like when a band goes commercial, it's still good. Like, you know, this, for me, this is a bit like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, like it's overplayed and everything, but it, it's still brilliant. And the whole idea that he's a, even more him, even more and his annoying traits in the early episodes, I think is correct and totally fits with the whole storyline of of him showing off in front of the camera and the idea that when the camera first turns up to film this documentary, that he's really, really pushing his personality as hard as he can and, and desperate to kind of show off in front of the camera, I think totally fits and is a very much a deliberate move. And it would make sense that they would then pull back on that a little bit towards the later, you know, give him a little bit more humanity in the later part of the, uh, the series where maybe he's, He's gotten used to the camera a bit, and he's showing off I think I th- a tiny bit less, <laughs> and it is only a tiny bit. Yeah, I think it's slightly less meta. I think it's uh, a tool for storytelling to in to sort of give us a good understanding of the characters more than the meta idea that the character is trying harder at the start. But it definitely comes into play. But but that was still quite apparent. Like I knew that there were going to be things that I would like about it, but it was just like, oh, this is just intense um so quickly uh so that was sort of my first sort of brent um impression uh i do feel as though it kind of feels a bit more organic maybe than steve carell's depiction of the same character or, or michael scott as as he's called and um, i said i don't want to compare the two too much but something about uh 
knowing Carell and seeing him do loads of different stuff and then do The Office, I kind of felt like he was doing an extension of himself, whereas Gervais was kind of like born out of The Office. So he was kind of Brent first before anything else. And there's something about Brent and Gervais having no legacy that just kind of installs it as a bit more of a uh, an organic thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think the, the uh, I, I think with the uh, with the American show, it took a few series before they'd real really nailed down that character. Where I think, just kind of what he was trying to get that balance between him being likable and unlikable and stuff. I th- I think they struggled a little bit with that in the American show for a couple of series. Where I feel like here even though he's incredibly unlikable a lot of the time, sometimes a little bit, sometimes incredibly so, I feel like he is 100% flushed out. Like I, I feel like Gervais could have done 50 series and Brent would have essentially stayed the same. Like he, He's such a, a real character. And, and mm. it, not just based on one person. You know, he says he's, he's an amalgamation of lots of different bosses and, and people he's known. But uh, I, I, he, he's such, and all of them are like this, really. And it's what makes the show so good, is they all seem so ridiculously real and believable straight away. It, it's, uh, it's really quite incredible in that case. Yeah, that there, there's definitely, and that's kind of another thing here. Like, so as I watched the series, um, it became clear to me the things that I like most about this series are all of the other characters and what they bring to the series. Um, when you first see sort of Martin Freeman and um, Mackenzie Crook, they're, they're, they are so subtle in comparison to Brent and the all of the things that they do that are sort of punchlines or that draws comedy from. I, I was consistently laughing and finding everything they did funny like something about the subtlety and I just thought it was quite clever but I genuinely just found them found it they were written really really well and I sort of believed their characters from the get-go and they're massively great actors which hugely helps obviously seeing Martin Freeman from you know 20 years ago and he's a massive Hollywood actor same for Mackenzie Crook like you know gone to Hollywood, got his own series. You know, they are very, very able. And I think that they've just absolutely nailed their roles uh, in this. And I and I just very quickly uh, found it a lot easier to sort of laugh at the comedy revolving around them, for sure. I think... So I've got so much to say about both of them. It was interesting with... I, I saw an interview with Martin Freeman, and he said... Um, you know, he he was genuinely worried for his future career because he thought he would just spend the rest of his career just looking at cameras and pulling the same face because now that's just what he did in his day-to-day life. Like he'd kind of become Tim and Tim had become him, um, <laughs> which is so great because uh, Richard Herring on his podcast had a long joke for ages that Martin Freeman always just played Tim from The Office and that, you know, they were like, oh yeah, Tim from The Office has been cast as as the uh, Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit and, and things like that. And, and it is true, like Martin Freeman has done a lot of very similar roles. Um, I feel like he's not given great, he's, I probably laugh at him less, but that's almost deliberate because he's like our proxy. He is the most normal 
and the least ridiculous. And he's also not trying to, he's just not that funny as a, as it like that person, if we believe he's a real person, that the, the person of Tim is not that funny. He's amusing and I chuckle at him, but I don't find him anywhere near as funny as, for example, Gareth. Like Mackenzie Crook as Gareth is just unbelievable. Uh, and yeah, yeah, for sure. The crazy thing is, I I found from this uh, you know interviews from with Stephen Merchant, uh, Mackenzie Crook was nothing like what they had planned for the character, like at oh, all. Yeah. They originally had him planned because he of almost like a looking ex army, like quite a big and intimidating guy, and a bit of like a maybe a bit of like a brute and a bit of an idiot in that sense. Which mm. now thinking about it doesn't work at all because most of the comedy for Gareth is built up around the fact that he has these opinions, but he's a little weed who's completely unintimidating like that. That feels like that's what the character is. So to think that his initial initial character was a bit more intimidating is, is really hard to imagine. But it, it, they took some real convincing to to give it to Mackenzie Crook. Uh, but once they had, they they realized that as well, and they realized that. Okay, because of his kind of weak and feeble look look about him, that you could give him more and more extreme things to say and do because he wasn't intimidating. So it, it they definitely evolved, they evolved the character around what he is, um, but it, it's 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 kind of even more impressive that they were able to do that. If you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think that both Mackenzie Crook and, and Freeman are the the kind of palate cleanser um they they they're a bit more in the real world even though gareth I don't is know about, i don't know about gareth in the real world <laughs> even though even though gareth is you know still clearly mental and like all over the place he he feels a lot more uh genuine and believable as a, as a person that exists than say a brent which is um oh really you know Have you, really I, extreme I've met a lot more Brents than I have Gareth. I've met a couple of Gareths. Don't get me wrong. Like I've met, I know a couple of people who are close, but I, I've met a lot more Brents in my time than I have Gareths. Yeah, this this is the thing, though, isn't it? So, in terms of like the traits of personality, yes, I I, I don't I don't deny that that um, that there are probably more Brents. But the thing about Brent is, Brents turned up to twelve. Uh, in this series, whereas Gareth and Martin Friedman are m- much more subtle, and I think that the, those three characters, specifically being that way, only help to only help to accentuate that difference. So Brent being so outlandish kind of diminishes Gareth's craziness, which makes it for me easier to digest. But yeah, Gareth yeah. and Martin Friedman being a lot more chilled, kind of it then accentuates how mad and just completely out of touch um brent is but uh but yeah gareth quickly became my my favorite sort of thing to be watching i just enjoyed every look every a lot of it is so subtlety and it's in the subtleties of this show that i that i thought it was really brilliant the really sort of the careful watcher and and that's the thing watching this series critically um, and with that critical eye, uh, I, I had no idea what to expect because I know that it's a good comedy. I know that it's well written. I know that there are things in, that I would enjoy about it. But I also have this sort of issue at my core 
with the sort of main drawer of the comedy. So I didn't really know. And I, I, although I've seen probably all the series, I don't remember all the episodes. Half of this content of the series, I did not recall, um, even though I could quote it, which is just doesn't make sense. But like I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> didn't sort of remember all the narrative and the story arcs, but all of the moments that were kind of super funny and that I, I kind of recalled. Um, but I'm really glad that I was able to find sort of some really, really good things looking at it closely. And the subtleties were just the best. The, the little looks, the little moments, the tiny little play on things. Uh, they were really cleverly sprinkled throughout the whole series. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. There, there was a great one uh, Mackenzie Crook mentioned um giving himself a pat on the back as well he should he said there was like he loved doing those little bits and there was one when um when brent is uh apparently phoning finch to fire him and it turns out it's the talking clock when they put it on speakerphone and you hear the talking clock gareth glances at his watch just to kind of check the time is correct which is just something he was just like it just seemed like something gareth would do like he heard if he heard the t- talking clock he'd synchronize his watch basically and that was that was off the cuff and it's like that's really knowing the character so well and I, I that that's just so good to see after just a just a single series you know it they all know what they're doing straight away uh all the main characters i think are, are very good with that I, I i guess part of that is because they're so real most of them uh that it become probably becomes easier to to fill in the gaps because if you have extreme characters, like if you're a you know a secret agent, they're filling all the gaps about what makes this person a person, like what childhood did they have? That's got to be pretty hard to throw that all together. But these are really normal people, and most people are normal people, obviously. So mm. it's it very easy to build the character fully, uh, and and fill in all all the little gaps. And I think they all did that really really well. Yeah, and some of the concepts are really good as well. Some of the sort of less subtleties. Um, are really good and it kind of does this good job of having obviously Brent do the really obvious stuff that you know is happening and then you have like uh, they let the audience figure out some stuff which is a bit more um, clever like when Gareth gets a phone call and you know that it's Tim because he just hangs up like the punchline is that you know what's happened rather than the thing actually happening yeah. Um, and there's also really just good concepts in there, like the leather holding case for his phone, um, <laughs> which is just like completely mad, but just yeah. absolutely the gun, brilliant. The gun belt. <laughs> the gun belt. It just looks absolutely great. And when he keeps getting out to make the phone call, like that, that was very funny. It was fun seeing him play around with the gun belt just when seconds earlier he was using one of those um, Tipex mice. Do you remember them that were really popular for a few yeah, years? Yeah, yeah. They were so rubbish. <laughs> they never worked. I can't believe they were ever commercially available and everyone owned one for like th- five years. I remember using them in school all the time, but they were rubbish because you... Oh, there's going to be Gen Zs who just can't explain what, how a Tipex, ma- Tipex mouse worked, but just they were dumb. It didn't work. You couldn't write on them, so they they were essentially useless. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of things that I didn't get on with Brent, but one of one of the lines I really liked randomly, episode three was um, 
uh, Brent says the line, uh, he's that unlucky that he f- if he fell into a barrel of tits, he'd come up sucking his own thumb. Oh, yeah, you like that? <laughs> I was considering that I thought that everything he did throughout the entire series wasn't funny. I just really liked that, like, anecdote, or whatever you want to call it, that little joke. <laughs> what a weird thing to love. Um, I just thought it was genuinely funny. Like, everything that he does that is funny is awkward. And that's the whole point, is, like, he's very rarely funny because he's actually funny he's funny because he's not funny and because he's awkward and that's kind of my core concept that i have a problem with um but that line was actually a funny line it's like oh that was a joke and it kind of landed for me and it was probably the only time in the entire series that he told a joke that i found funny you know it's that you say he's very turned up to 11 and he is but then there are little subtleties and stuff that I think is is really good. Like sometimes it's more dramatic, like head butting his new PA in the face was not very <laughs> subtle. But that there was a bit in um, I think it's like the fifth episode uh, where he, he's dancing and as he turns around, he almost walks into the bookshelf, <laughs> but he just avoids it. Do you remember that bit? No, I don't actually. Well, so they're doing like the moonwalk, and he does like a little Michael Jackson spin. Oh yeah, he goes yeah, to yeah, walk yeah, away, yeah, looking yeah, all cool, yeah. and he doesn't hit the book. Now it would have been so easy to have him smash his face against the bookshelf, and that be funny. But the fact that he then just misses it is so much funnier, and I mm. really like that as a choice. And just little things like that are. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, the the little bits. Um, in the very first episode when he meets. Uh, I think it's Jennifer and they're sitting in the office something said about some sort of sexual connotation and he like very leering and pervingly like looks up at her knees and around her dress and kind of up her skirt in a kind of way and I found that really funny like it's a super like quarter of a second just glance down to her and really sexualizing her but it that not that sounds bad that I'm saying that's funny but that's the whole point of the joke um you were yeah, laughing and, at him, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I found that really funny. And the, the the little subtleties, I keep saying that, but the, the little things that weren't shoved down my throat, I genuinely found funny. And I was really enjoying the, the show for that, no matter who was doing it, whether it was um, Brent or Gareth or, or Friedman. I, I thought that they were really well pulled off. Yeah, I... It's it's. I mean, I I liked a lot of those things as well. I think th- definitely the hardest stuff for me was there. There was definitely a lot of sexism in this show. I think that's something that was like you've as you've just pointed out that that joke there with Jennifer, and there was large parts of it. I was just like, I, I'm really. It's such a tragedy that it was only twenty years ago that this is one hundred percent how things were, and mm. how far we've come in twenty years is quite impressive. Like you know, at Dawn's, you know, saying, "Oh, you know, if someone's uh, being a leech, then you just kick him in the balls." It's like, no, that's not how that works. Just they shouldn't be a leech. You shouldn't need to like defend yourself by attacking people. People should just not be sexist in the office. You know, the, the warehouse guys to Jennifer was like, "Oh my God, would anyone?" be that crude maybe not that was a bit pushing it maybe even for those things that was maybe maybe a a decade or so late even for that joke but it, it was nice to see how much that stuff has changed and it was a real for the real sexist stuff however brent's inherent sexism uh and his kind of leeching over his pa and stuff was something that 
you've de- I've definitely seen a lot of, and I think that still exists. These these guys that are just so uncomfortable around women, they just physically don't know what to do. I think that bit still exists and is a difficult to watch. I found that probably the hardest stuff to watch is whenever he was. It's that whole process of hiring his his PA. That was the bit that I was like, that's tough, and that even still exists. So that makes that even worse. Yeah, and I was wondering how you'd feel about this because the, the there is sexism, there is also racism. I mean, he he, I mean, the the word "packy" comes up, which I completely was not expecting, referred to by one of the cast who I imagine is actually Indian, but I I don't I didn't look into his lineage, but um, just seeing that come up at all was just like whoa, that that feels really archaic. But the, yeah, um, that wouldn't be said in an office now, yeah. like. By by but, anyone, even even by someone from from you know Pakistan or India, as a joke about themselves, I still think it would be inappropriate to make to to say it. But there's so much uh, of the comedy built up around sexism in general that someone like you, for example, who is very uh, you know let's say woke, you um, can say woke, it's fine. <laughs> uh, where is like kind of the line for? what becomes acceptable and what doesn't like you say we're laughing at the character and the intention of the comedy mm. is good but also it, it it does definitely help to age it and make the comedy uh in general more difficult to enjoy because it, it, the principles of it are that awkward i mean it's it, it's mm. awkward enough as it is but also the sort of passage of time only serves to make it kind of a little bit like gets under your skin like in I, I don't understand that they draw comedy from that but also it's a, it's quite painful in a lot of places it it really is uh not fun to live in some of those moments mm. no definitely not I, th- I think the general Brent's general demeanor around women I found amusing because he's so uncomfortable and he's so unaware that I found kind of funny but many of the direct comments that were made to, you know, Dawn, like that first joke he makes about her, like ridiculous. Like, I think at some point every bloke in the office has woken up for the crack of Dawn. Like, yeah, right. he said that to her in what he thinks is the first hour of a film crew being around. Like, th- there's so much wrong with that. It's unbelievable. Uh, but so a lot of the individual comments made me definitely feel a bit like uncomfortable, but his general manner... And his kind of general sexism, I found kind of funny the way they they used it, and his kind of ability to appear so uncomfortable, and and really just like he he hates that woman is his boss, but mm. he's also absolute because he thinks as a man he's better, but he's also absolutely terrified of her, and mm. it's that that and that's very amusing just to watch this guy who's who thinks he's all modern but is massively stuck in the dark ages and and doesn't know what to do. He wants to appear to be everything all at once. He wants to be a lad in the warehouse. He wants to be an enlightened person. He also wants to be a comedian. Uh, and he, he, in fact, he doesn't just want to be those things. He thinks he is all those things, like genuinely believes it. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't think he thinks a single thing he ever says or does is wrong, uh, despite evidence to the contrary. So it, it does create a quite a weird dynamic. I, I think it definitely helps that, 
this is something that came up in a few of the things I was kind of watching and reading about how how likable and how sympathetic are the characters. I think the hardest one is definitely Brent because he does do some such generally terrible things, but he mostly does them out of ignorance and definitely isn't malicious. Although some of the things he does is pretty bad. I, I, I you feel like if he was grown up at a different time or with some good direction then he could be a good functioning member of society. And then I think they kind of, I, I think it was very clever how they then have Finch to be the, okay, this is what a proper dickhead looks like. This is what an actual un, unrepentant, terrible human being looks like to really, uh, to kind of put Brent on the scale. Mm. Uh, and, and and maybe that let, makes him get away with stuff a bit too much. I think it's very easy to be over, sympathetic to Brent but don't like uh, say it's kind of you, you know what I mean like I think the Finch there really oh, no, is I there completely, I completely get what you mean that is there to get there and because he is an awful awful human being yeah yeah he is 100% the worst but then Brent completely idolizes him and sees him as yeah the person that he wants to be which kind of makes it worse and you were saying about the uh the um guys in the warehouse when they were talking to Jennifer um they mm. were they were basically like proper being sexist pigs to her face and yeah. it was my the, the, the thing that I have about the show is that that, that it's documentary it's filmed to be like fly on the wall like like we're supposed to be able to relate and feel like it's real but there are just constantly things in it which uh are generally over the top that it, it it feels too far away from reality, like that moment, for example. So, like, even in yeah, you know, even twenty years ago, if the big boss lady, who you know is the big boss lady, comes down to the warehouse, you're not as a group like saying, you know, come sit on my fucking whatever or whatever they're they're saying. Like it, it's it is too far, and that kind of is not happen. And Brent generally i feel like it's it's just a bit of an extension of that like so you, you think it's wildly... you think it's re- you think it's incredibly unlikely borderline impossible that that would have happened then in the way that it comes across in terms of how it is uh achieved in terms of the uh, the the acting and what it looks like yes if it was like under the breath and kind of a lot more subtle mm. than I could believe, maybe it would happen. But the main foreman guy is literally like laughing at her in her face to the other lads saying, this yeah, he funny. Would, she and would just fire him on the spot. Right. Like, why? Doesn't, yeah. Like, yeah. And that was, that was a bit odd. That and the was, problem, it was, mu- it was too much. And the, the problem with Brent's character is that, that he is clearly like mentally and socially, uh, got an issue. Like, Basically on the spectrum, I would say, like, the the level of stuff that he does in, in terms of how awkward it becomes. Like, you have to be so blissfully unaware of everything that goes around you. <laughs> he doesn't want anyone to have any success in any way, shape or form unless it is him. Like, Yeah, that, it, that that's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, he does literally... Want him con- to be the constantly to wanting to be better than everyone and constantly thinking that you're better and showing that you're better and wanting to show that you're so good, but also like trying to like put other people constantly down. Like, all of these are 
really, really deplorable. And sometimes they can be funny, but sometimes what it is is deplorable and like the worst part of humanity. The problem, for, the problem for me is that I um one of my like personal issues is I struggle uh, in some social situations where there is a level of social awkwardness, which generally comes from somebody else not being able to read the room and be aware of their their surroundings and how people are feeling and this is like you know our our father was very very good at this and to a certain extent we both sort of in his image imitated this and we're very good with people we're very good at reading the room you know and 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 I really struggle like to my core being in situations when somebody is, is the other end of that scale like when it is awkward and I'm sat there personally witnessing it like it's so far away from how I am that that it, it, it honestly makes me clam up and I struggle to be in that situation because it's like everyone around you thinks that you're a dick or that you're doing things that are really uncomfortable and you don't know and my brain sort of just short circuits like oh i've seen this. you do it a million times i can't handle this yeah it's like how does this person not realize that everyone hates them and everything they're doing is wrong and terrible how do they not know this why do they and, think this is an okay way to be why is no like, one I, telling them <laughs> yeah right and i'm and i'm honest to a fault like i i am very very honest so in situations where this has happened and someone is genuinely being a dick or offending people or not being nice then at that point I'll be like, mate, you're being a dick, like, stop this. Or I will uh, almost, and this isn't necessarily a great trait, but if someone's <laughs> being horrible to someone and putting them down, then I will sort of switch, flip the script and, and do the same to them to kind of put them in their place to show what they're doing. Not necessarily nastily, but... Um, Not necessarily nicely either. Um, no, but... but the, the, I, I totally know what of, you mean. This is yeah. where all of the stuff bans from me. It, it's about my personality and the things that I really struggle with personally. And because Brent is such a huge personification of exactly that, but so... I mean, it's worse than any, anything I've ever experienced in my actual life. And this is why I was saying about the warehouse people as well. Going that far... I find it to be unrealistic. Like, I, it's just not real. You you can't have someone in an office setting who's managing people, who's managed to get to that stage, who is that bad. I know that they do exist in terms of being half yeah. of what Brent is and they're terrible yeah, at their not, job and they've somehow climbed the ladder. But, yeah, plenty of them, sadly. Um, but, but that being the main driving to this, but but when everything else is subtle and believable and documentary and real office, there is uh, something in that jigsaw that doesn't quite fit for me. And it only serves to sort of accentuate the issue that I have with it by being larger than life. And the more crazy the Brent moments get, the more awkward it gets, the more I have a problem with it because it is a mixture of my awkwardness but also being now absent from the real world. So it kind of breaks down some of the foundations of, of everything as well at that point. Do you know what I mean? T- totally do. I mean, I I kind of remember in my memory, 
that's where that's where remembering happens. <laughs> I, I I don't recall uh, Brent being quite as irredeemable as he is, especially in this first series. I think they do give him a few more humanly bits in series two and in the specials. They do flush him out a little bit, but he is pretty irredeemable mm. in most ways, and that's. Um, that is a little bit of a difficult circle to square for sure. I, I totally get that. I do recall actually um, with, um, I, I heard this years ago from, I think Stephen Merchant and Gervais talking to uh, uh, like the, the cast of the American office and saying, you know, in the English office, like Brent is, is awful. Like he's terrible at his job. It's absolutely useless, but Americans won't go for that. And so it was very important that with, with Michael Scott, that he has uh, occasionally he has really nice, meaningful, emotional moments, but also occasionally he shows that he's quite good at the job, and that happens a lot in the American office, where like he'll suddenly his insane ideas will actually be very effective, and he'll be good at the job. That never really happens here. Not at one point is uh, Brent ever capable at all. And that no. it would be nice to see a little bit more of how he got there rather than just existing. Uh, that it, it would be nice to get a bit more context and just see that because even these people that are absolutely useless, they they probably got there for a reason, and it's difficult to see what the reason was. Long with, service, <laughs> yeah. You know, did he just hang around long enough? It is a bit difficult to see that. So yeah, I, I do totally get that issue. I do think there is a lot more good stuff to come with Brent and a bit more likable stuff that, that isn't there in, in this and, and maybe comes later. Um, I, I also think that, as I've sort of highlighted on, uh, we know Ricky Gervais can write jokes. doesn't matter if it's his series, if it's his stand-up, if it's in person, if it's Golden Globes. The guy can write a joke and make you laugh like crazy. Sometimes it is like close to the bone. Some of his glo- Golden Globe stuff is insanely like wicked but um the guy is very funny and the jokes in this series are very very good um i find like the 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 draw on brent for the comedy uh is a bit cheap like Mm -hmm. it's very easy to do when as i said the subtleties and all the jokes in the series like silly little things like um gareth walks in uh to this like meeting and like, what's your biggest What's your, what's your biggest fantasy and they're talking about like the thing that you want to achieve in life he's like probably two lesbians actually and such it's just good, like such a good joke all of all of the jokes like there's almost no jokes that don't hit like they are they are just so well written and then so well executed uh and i like you know a little bit um you know i like intelligent comedy you know i don't want to say i'm up myself but it's nice when a joke's a little bit cleverer or um you know more subtle and you you feel cleverer than doing it and nothing that brent ever does is that it is leaning on like a really simple and basic form of comedy again which uh i just don't think is necessarily necessary like it, don't get me wrong it's made the series and it clearly is the thing that broke the mold but uh i'm i'm finding the other things uh, a lot funnier than than that and leaning so heavily on that part of the comedy when all the other stuff is so good was was quite hard as well i think it, i think for most people i think you definitely i understand your position 
but you're definitely in a minority. I think for most people, Gervais and Brent as a character was the best thing about the show and probably what I think took most people by surprise. I've seen with many interviews, um, you know, that the the character of Brent was the most kind of critical thing. Uh, but there oh, was a lot undoubtedly. more. That, but one of the many things that make the show great is there is like more nuance to it. We haven't at all talked about about Dawn and, and Tim and Dawn. Um, whenever I see interviews with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, who we've not even mentioned Stephen Merchant, who is like absolutely 50-50 a creator, despite not taking part really at all. Uh, it, it's always Stephen Merchant who talks about the romantic undertones being so critical to the show. It's always him who talks most about Tim and Dawn, uh, it was him, I've heard, had said the same thing to um, uh, Jenna Fisher and, and Jim Krasinski. Uh, not Jim Krasinski. <laughs> Jim's character. Uh, what's his name? Krasinski. Tim? Jim, Tim. What's his name? John. She, he said to John Krasinski and, and Jenna Fisher that, you know, it, First and foremost, that the romance was so, like, absolutely integral to the show and what made it so so good, uh, and that they're and that really, Dawn and Tim are the main characters in, in a way more more than Brent. It, it's very interesting that Merchant has that kind of softer underbelly because uh, it doesn't come across in a lot of his other stuff. Um, I don't know if you've seen much. He did this pretty terrible series that I watched more of than you'd expect called Hello Ladies. On on Sky, where he just played this a bit a bit Brent esque character of this just incredibly unlikable, um, self assured, yeah, self assured and unaware character that was very much in the mold of Brent, uh, who just inexplicably had success, which was a bit annoying. Uh, but that wasn't very great. Uh, did a couple of series and even a film, which was weird. Uh, but it, it, he definitely does seem to be the 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 push and the pull behind that. He's big into the rom coms, and and a big part of that. I mean, he he said his his main goal in life was wife, kids, and to write and direct a successful sitcom. That that mm. was his like life goals from a teenager. And so, having succeeded in his kind of thirties, he was very unsure what to do with the rest of his life, <laughs> uh, which might be why he's especially in the last. 10 years it feels like he's not done a lot but uh it's the tim and the tim and dawn storyline is very good incredibly subtle like mm. the, the, That's what the, you're saying about it being the main part of the series it's funny from it's hard for me to separate in, in a comparison to the u.s how much of it is because there's so much more of it and how much more lived in that feels against how subtle it is also generally in the american office i feel like this jim and uh what's what's the female character and pam um is really like just constantly the center pull like it is just the arc of so many episodes whereas in this like you get a, a bit of it here a bit of it there and certainly in the first series like it is a very will they won't they and you kind of do want that to happen but like it's not nearly is in your face so it it kind of feels like a very background thing that you kind mm. of are interested in but it, it, it's it, like it's, a little b story running throughout the entire series that's just 
you just touch they just touch on it lightly even in like the main episode where where dawn um splits up with her her fiance you expect that episode to all be about uh tim and dawn and even that episode kind of isn't they don't you no. know they don't really talk about it for ages right up until uh the uh timper tantrum see what i did there uh, where where tim loses it and then asks her out it, but even on that, they're they're very restrictive. Like just just a look is enough, and it's much more subtle than any classic will they won't they, uh, which generally in in sitcoms I'm I'm so bored to death of will they won't they's, uh, but it is incredibly originally done in this one. I think because it's meant to be real life, and they know they're on camera, that there's that kind of uh, fear of being seen publicly that is so much more real than in most shows like in most mm. shows when two characters are doing a will they won't they they're not worried about being watched by a camera because the camera isn't a character where here it is and and that just adds a really interesting level to the whole thing mm. i think that the uh there's not like a lot of clear flirting between them it's clear they like each other but it doesn't feel like there's like a real flirtatiousness going on it's a lot more modest than that whereas again the u.s office there is like a lot of smiles and a lot of like cheeky moments again i don't i don't know how much of that is just the amount of time that i've seen it but in general i think it's a lot more sort of central and and leaned on for the um for the storyline against the um the american office but i think again the I don't want to keep making comparisons, but the the American Office uh, there's also there's so many looks to the camera. the The camera is really like really drawn into whether it's um, Jim. Jim looks at the camera far too much and does this little little smile. It annoys me. But Michael Scott is very much like really looking deep into the camera into the audience, whereas. Brents and Garrus and everyone else is kind of like sometimes they're almost looking at the interviewer or the other director or the producer who would mm. be on set like they're looking off camera they're looking to the side although Brent does sort of look into the camera again it's a lot more subtle and whereas I think a lot of the US office does things better I do prefer the understated nature of the documentary which is just much more in line with a UK sensibility you know it totally makes sense that it's the other way around but I, I much preferred the the modesty of the play up to the camera within the the UK series it, it the in the entire show feels so incredibly English that it's absolutely amazing that they were able to successfully you know take it across the pond because yeah the whole thing does feel like it does have this whole victorian um sensibility about the whole thing like everyone does feel a little bit stuffy no one feels completely comfortable around the camera and it feels like people let their guards slip all the all the time and nothing so many things aren't explicit it it's uh it's very surprising that you could make that work in a more obvious way like they do over there um one thing i wanted to mention just we were talking about tim and dawn is what did you think about lee dawn's fiance because he basically comes across all right most of the time like he's not a great bloke but he's basically fine and 
I, I again, remember him being less likable. But really, he seems fine. Yeah. Right? I, I, He's got real, normal, realistic hopes and dreams and desires. Just seems like a pretty normal bloke. Yeah, he's a bit he's a bit of a lad, isn't he? He's a bit like not into his emotions and he's a bit like kind of uh probably um you know, looking not down on Dawn, I don't know what the word is, but like he's just a little bit she is a bit more subordinate or submissive yeah, to him. He is a bit of a chauvinist, yeah. Yeah. But but, but, but not ridiculously. I, d- I don't know if in series two as that kind of breaks down a bit more, if he just turns into a bit more of a dick. But he's actually quite pleasant in this. He takes the piss out of Martin Freeman for like uh like coming on to her. He buys him a gift and sort of or they buy him a gift and he kind of like sitting there joking with him. They they exchange sort of a couple of handshakes. Like I think that the in in terms of that character, he knows that Tim has a thing, but basically think there's no chance so it kind of just works all right but it's it's definitely it's definitely a lot more um subtle and he's not nearly as much of a dick as what what i thought he was yeah i found that like a very interesting choice given that you're definitely meant to be rooting for tim and dawn the whole time it's interesting that they didn't make lee more unlikable when they could have done. I mean, that they're not afraid to make someone unlikable in this show. Oh, yeah, so, right. but it, it, but you really are meant to be rooting for for Tim and Dawn to, in in spite of a lot of things. Uh, I did want to touch a little bit on the episode, just because I know it's a lot of people's favorite episodes. I know it's a lot of the cast's favorite episode, and that is the uh, the training day episode. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all the cast sort of interviews and stuff, all talking about it, saying that it was. It, it felt really different because they were all kind of away in this sort of different location for most of the day. And it was just so, ext- and it was just so unique, largely because of the songs, of course, and, and we'll get there. But that, that training guy who came in, he is so good. He is so Brilliant. absolutely gets, gets the format. It's incredible. Like he is really, really just, this he's a really diff- every he's an everyday man as well. Like he just yeah. feels like like every like standard good person, good intentions that you see in those sort of jobs, suffering absolute fucking pellets. It it's just amazing. What I really love is when he absolutely loses his shit at Brent at the end. It's literally the first sensible point Brent has made all day. <laughs> it's the first time Brent's been reasonable and he's just so fed up of his shit that he absolutely loses it. And it was like, no, this is the first time he's not talking bollocks. What was, like, what nope. was that, what was that I, quote? I can't remember exactly what Brent oh, had yeah. said, but it was like proper reasonable. <laughs> and it was just, he's just like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, fuck, I've had enough of you. And then Tim's fucked off and he's had his tantrum. But the whole... uh the whole song stuff, I mean, songs in comedy shows and stuff is often very good. And I do I do like when they bring this kind of thing in. I am a sucker for a good song in a TV show. This whole thing definitely felt like a real little piece of magic. I, I It 100% worked when Gareth and Gervais, uh, Gareth and Brent start harmonising. I got some hot love on the hot love highway going
the songs are just good enough as any comedy song has to be. It has to be a, a, an okay song to begin with or it doesn't work. Mm. It, a, a, a funny song is never funny because it's shit. That's never funny. It's funny because it's good but also ridiculous. And this is perfect. Yeah, this episode has been done really, really well. They've really found the balance in all the areas. Because it wasn't Brent being so crazy unbelievable, I found this a lot easier to laugh at and to find funny. Like, like he talks about going, getting his guitar and then in this meeting, and there's a really subtle bit where Tim comes to the camera and is like, he went home to get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's actually gone touch. home to get his guitar. <laughs> Oh, like when he's when he's in the office later with Dawn, and it's looking at Brent, and he's talking oh. to her seriously. Pans over to Dawn, pans back to Brent. Or no, pans over to Dawn, and then he just starts playing. And it pans back to Brent. He's holding his guitar, and you're like, "When did he even pick it up?" That's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, they, they've really they, that episode really managed all of that so so well, and I was able to get on board with pretty much the entirety of the episode. Like. Again, it was awkward, but I could literally see that actually happening and it really being like uh, possible for that to go on. And, you know, just Gervais, right. Gervais, just can, possible. Yeah, Gervais <laughs> can play the guitar and sing well enough that you kind of can believe that's that storyline that he was in this in this band. And uh, yeah, the, the foil of the um, this trainer guy is is just is just perfect to it. He is just so equal to the, the the madness of it and just lets it go on. Like his life is just not worth it for most of the time. And like really super like simple bit, but they break for lunch and he's just eating these packets of crisps with a sandwich. Yeah. And written paper. I, I, for me, I wrote, is there anything more British than that? Like, yeah, I've obviously, I've lived in quite a few different places, but nowhere really kind of has this like crisps and sandwich idea for lunch. It's kind of insane for a lot of uh, other people and cultures. But for me, like I worked in office for years. I mean, I, I probably did like seven years working in a just quintessential office environment and lived off, you know, wraps and sandwiches and packets of crisps. And like when I'm doing that abroad as well, uh, in whatever country, I always get looked at weird. Like, what? What are you eating? <laughs> it's like this is lunch. Yeah. It's the most lunchy lunch you could have. <laughs> Very occasion, like a single digit number of times, I've like thrown a few um, chips, uh, crisps. I genuinely couldn't remember which word was the correct word. It's crisps, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. That despite the word. fact you've, despite, despite the fact you've just said it, I've said a bit. Was I say I have been saying crisps this whole time? Haven't I? I think so. I honestly don't know. <laughs> It's so funny. Crisps is so. In, you're in like, Australia, you know. We're surrounded by American influence speakers. It's a nightmare. The um, it's funny that crisps is such a thing that's enchained in your brain as an English person, and you could never imagine saying something else. But when you're out of England for so long and constantly having to explain what a crisp is, you just naturally sort of gravitate to chip. And oh, now, I've been saying chips saying, for years. Now saying the word crisp is actually really hard, but I, yeah. I wrote it down because I was very much in this like British place of sandwich <laughs> and crisps. Uh, so I think I was just saying crisp, um, but it's kind of hard now to say crisp. How crazy is that? It is crazy. I, there's a lot of, I think being very sort of English as we were and sort of speaking kind of, you know, relatively kind of, you know, nice Southern English. I think, uh, we we never we never would have expected ourselves to have been so accepting of the Americanisms that have become 
kind of standard international English, but but they happen. But a, a few times I have put crisps on my plate at work for lunch and been given all sorts of mental looks. Like it, and it, like you say, that is the definition of a lunch in England. Um, I found uh, Brent so much more sort of intrusive and persistent than, say, Michael Scott, like a little buzzing bee. There's when... Uh, later on in the episode and the trainer is trying to talk and Brent is literally just like talking over him and finishing his sentences and pointing like just does not let up whereas Michael Scott's a bit more like you are pitying him for being you kind of look at him like a dog like a a little dog that's doing the wrong thing and there's a lot more pity there Brent's incessance during that scene specifically like it's it's so hard to it's just a fucking hard to watch it just really is like that 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 moment where he's just not letting the guy do his job and just constantly having to have a word in I find it really funny when uh the character makes me basically hate them like you would not want to be in the same room as him ever like and when it's really at that moment where he's not letting someone do their job because he's so narcissistic so like i run all this show after the end of a really good episode where a lot of that was quite subtle then he went full brent at that moment i was like god i hate him so much Yeah, it, it's uh, he, he is some of his worst and best stuff in that episode for sure. It's uh, yeah, it is it is pretty great. Uh, it was very interesting. Again, it kind of comes back to that humanity stuff of how at, so absolutely desperate he is to be liked, um, Brent, and then what happens in kind of you know episode six where at the first chance of of uh, of more power and more. Um, sort of uh what's the word i'm thinking like gravitas i guess is because really wants that kind of power and respect that first whiff of a promotion he can't wait to to throw everyone under the bus and that is another one of those very tragic but believable traits that i I think a lot of people have i think a lot of people like to see themselves as uh, as a good person but maybe you know wouldn't be as willing to take one for the team as they think they are uh, and that all that stuff's kind of tough to watch, but I think the one that is definitely meant to be the most biggest deal and is delivered really well was when Tim decides to stay. Like, cause so the whole thing was Tim was meant to be leaving to go and study psychology after he has his little tantrum. Uh, I also found it hilarious it was psychology because this is the period where everyone. I don't know about in the world, but certainly in England, everyone was obsessed with studying psychology. Like yeah, right. Everyone. And I wonder it's if like, that's actually paid off. I feel like everyone no, did, has that, it did nothing no. with their degree, and now we need loads of psychiatrists. Like, there is no, a world shortage of it. We need psychiatrists, but not psychologists. But everyone studied psychology. None of them became doctors. They all just became know-it-alls. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of people I spoke to that have studied psychology, and you know, they're all the same. Like, no respect to what I'm sure you're all lovely people, but <laughs> honestly, you think far too much of yourselves, a lot of you. Um, I, I, it's funny, I think, um, uh, what's his face off the Stuff You Should Know podcast? Talking about 
Uh, not Josh. No, Josh. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, Josh. I remember even Josh had this thing where he, he mentioned it once, how uh, there was a long period where the world was obsessed with psychology and they thought they were going to solve everyone's problems, but it just they just didn't. They just didn't really get anywhere. And just everyone just went very quiet and hid back under their rocks. Um, but anyway, Tim's going to study psychology, but then he's offered some tiny bullshit promotion and suddenly he's he's going to stay. And you see the kind of disappointment in Dawn, who genuinely believed that Tim was someone who who was going to go and do something more, find something better, who wasn't just going to accept the shit. And if he could do it, then maybe she could too. And when he doesn't, you see the disappointment in her, the disappointment that she has in him, but then also her own kind of dreams get crushed. Well, it's like, well, if he's not going to do it, then I'm not going to do it either. And it's like... It it's so nicely done. I, I, after the whole episode has been about is Brent gonna, um, you know, stab everyone in the back or not? To then have it kind of end on on Tim staying and Tim's promotion, I just think that was really really nice. Just good poetic storytelling. Yeah, there's one line in there that I really liked as well, which is just like a, a good line for life, which is uh, it's better to be at the bottom of a ladder you want to climb than halfway up a ladder you don't, which is actually just quite a good line. I quite liked that. Like, mm. it doesn't matter where you are in life. If if it's not great, then just start again and go from the bottom because you're sort of on a bit of a better path. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds that comes up quite early in the episode or maybe in the previous episode and it sounds great. And then that's Tim's advice to Dawn, but then to see him completely not follow it and, and the kind of heartbreak that causes and disappointment in all of them is, is really, uh, it was very real. I think a lot of people, a lot, we've, I've seen that people do this. I think a lot of people have been in this situation where you just carry on on a, on a road in, in spite of yourself. It, it was very good, very self-aware to end on, on that note with those characters uh, a bit more than Brent. I, I still think Brent got the last scene, but uh, that certainly felt like the 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 rounding off of the show. Mm. I think um, sort of looking at the the whole thing, we we've pretty much glossed over the whole of episode five, which I actually really liked because they go into the club and it's just a nice uh, yeah. The club was in fun. terms of scene, and there's some some really good stuff over there. But um, the, the the show is so beautifully placed in time like offices have been you know around for a, a long long time but you're it came with this sort of cross-section where the whole generation was in the office and we were seeing sort of all of these things going on like I was saying at the start it's it's so uh so apparent to everyone that was going on there and, it, and it's funny because I don't know if you thought of this I, I was trying to figure out when it happened uh but I didn't half think that some of the band um, and and its sort of comedy ideas was quite similar to a lot of things in this show. And I was trying to think if we did the band before this or after this and if it was uh, how much it was influenced by The Office if or if we were just working on something quite similar at the time. Um, the, the band is a thing that my friends and I recorded um I, I, it must have been at exactly the same sort of time where it's it, just it was, we're, we're a band that thought we were really good, but we weren't. It was a spinal tap spoof, basically. Yes, 
Um, but some of the mannerisms in terms of how like Matt was portraying himself was uh, super similar to some of the Brent stuff, maybe. Not was yeah, not I'm, awkward, I'm, but just thinking that they're great when they're not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm genuinely unsure of the timeline of all that sort of stuff. But because that's the thing, it obviously the the show is monumental and remembered as this very unique thing. But like everything, it is standing massively on on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, you know, Spinal Tap kind of was the big mockumentary thing that everyone knows. Um that of course this it has a similar kind of style there'd been other mockumentaries in in the past that you know spinal tap was not the first and only mockumentary either um a lot of the the character i feel like alan partridge which is around a similar time is a very brenty-esque character as well so it's not like was that was that pre partridge the first partridge stuff would have been but when he really became uh well i mean when was knowing me knowing you I thought the first series. Was that, that, yeah, that was that was, ni- that was ninety-four. That's when oh. he has his talk show. And then I'm Alan Partridge, which is probably a bit more uh similar, is ninety-seven. I mean, again, yeah. a few years before. I feel like this a Brent draws on a lot of Partridge-esque elements. And I'm Alan Partridge is almost living in a it's not, it's a sitcom, but there's something weirdly almost mockumentary-esque about it. It is a little bit like that, isn't it? Yeah, and and so this stuff isn't completely out of the blue nowhere, but it did bring all these things together in an absolutely perfect way. And in a way, it's so good that no one else got the chance to do it first because there's no way they would have done as good a job of it. It was, But it did feel like this kind of uh, coil had been tightly sprung waiting for a show like this to kind of bring in these few different elements and it was absolutely perfect and just just reading my notes and can't help laughing at all of the notes i have for gareth when they're in the club and uh, he's getting off with this bird and uh this fella's just watching him <laughs> while he gets off of there and they sort of exchange this nod and it transpires later that this uh He's actually the fellow of this woman and they're looking for a thruple. And like Gareth's not not up for it. But then later on we get like a quarter of a second as we see a motorbike drive past and Gareth's in the sidecar and gives this little like side eye to the camera. Uh, honestly, I found those bits so funny. I mean, that was, I mean, we've not touched at all on the pub quiz. Another absolutely huge episode. I think it's... Although there's lots of things in there I love, it's not actually... They're all kind of being terrible because they've all had a drink and and pub quizzes do bring out the worst in people. So I think in a way there's some unenjoyable stuff and there's a lot of Finch in it, which doesn't help either. And because not only is Finch a complete tit, but he also brings out the worst in Brent. Um, but that that's another pivotal episode we barely mentioned. All the stuff in the club was really interesting, though. That was a real uh, time capsule, those sorts of clubs. Um as as was the uh, the 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 kind of tragic office disco that you get in episode six as well. I don't think people still do that as much. I think people generally go to other places or have dinners. I'm not sure. Maybe mm. they do still do these. Do people still like hire tiny halls and have tiny tragic office discos with only about twenty thirty people there? Does that still I, happen? I don't think so. But I don't think so either. Everyone's a DJ now. You just got to get a speaker up and a and Spotify. So I don't think you get that sort of lights and yeah, that sort of like late nineties cheese. 
I, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's uh, there's very a great playlist there. There was some proper like old school. It was I think it was even old school for the time. Like it was playing tunes a bit a bit older, but like these sort of like faux clubby sort of tunes, <laughs> very uh, blast from the past. Yeah, it was very good. I think uh, we should probably do a little roundup of this. I've definitely made my thoughts known, and considering this is probably going to be and is currently in terms of things that we've done the show that we have the most different opinion on um it's not wildly different obviously we shared a lot of uh of thoughts on it um it's something that you liked quite a lot and i and i haven't we actually haven't really gone at loggerheads too much on it which is great and i think we both mm. kind of understand uh, each other's point of view um i do think that this is still like really I heard I'll say good but like <laughs> I think this is like a really important and great and clever series um I I get that it I get its size and I get why it was so massive um but for me uh the like I said the things in comedy that I find funny a lot of times come from things like misdirection you know clan at standard comedy routines um it's clever it makes you think it's not what you're expecting and those sorts of punchlines and and this the show does that so so beautifully with everything that isn't done by david brent and i really really enjoyed that and i i was able to enjoy the series for for genuinely great uh writing of of all of that and had that not have been there it would have been a real uh struggle I think that this series is appreciated, uh, not balanced enough. I think there is too much love and appreciation for Brent when I actually think that everything else outside of Brent is as good or equal to it in terms of like creating the universe. So a lot of my issue does come from the fact that that it's the it's the obvious and the cheap and and the not nearly as uh, sort of well-written parts of it don't get me wrong it's obviously written well because it's funny but I, I think it's easier to write that it's harder to perform it uh Ricky Gervais's um performance of the writing is clearly what makes this show great like he is uh even though I find it a bit too far unbelievable he is still able to play an asshole really really well and it's that that works um, but everything else in the show and all the subtleties, I think, deserves so much more appreciation because it's a genuinely good show from like A to B, from like the whole scope of it in general, even though I don't like and I'm not I, I was very ra- rarely ever laughing at Gervais. Like, do, are you like physically laughing? Like you laugh out loud laughing oh, when definitely. it's awkward or are you like yeah. cringing uh, and yeah, chuckling? Some, or? So, sometimes, yeah. Absolutely, like it, there's a fine line, but yeah, there are times where I'm genuinely like making audible noises. I find myself like so stoic, like so many times that something would happen, like when he goes, like I think there's been a rape up there or whatever. <laughs> I was, I was just Such like, good line. <laughs> oh, like it doesn't help, like kind of that line I didn't know was coming anyway, but I just kind of, I didn't. I didn't, my first, my, my gut, my, my body didn't impulsively laugh. It was just like, oh, 
oh yeah, that's kind of got some funniness. Like it just it just didn't catch me in that same off guard way. So I think the um, only reason that wouldn't make me absolutely bellow is because I'm so aware of it and I've heard it so many times. But it, as a as a joke, I think that's brilliant. Um, but I, I, I'm glad that I'm able to sort of. I was able to look at this and find of loads of things to enjoy it for because I was a little bit worried that um, I was just going to shit on it, like as completely and utterly, mm. um, not overappreciated, overstated, overstated. No, what am I trying to say? Overrated. It's like it's like overrated in general, and maybe part of me does think that it's a bit overrated, but uh, I I don't think it is nearly as bad as my sort of. Uh, long-lasting impression, probably of it. Of it is, I, I think that's a very fair and balanced assessment. It's it's uh, where I'd hope I also don't would... want everyone to hate me. I could probably shit my loads, <laughs> but I feel like everyone would be like, "Who is this guy?" Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember. I do know there were definitely periods of your life that just the whole, like anyone mentioning the show, you're just like, I'm, "You're just so done with it, over it." Um, sick of it so the fact that now you can look back at it with a bit of fresh eyes and enjoy it I think is great I mean when I first heard about it saw tiny bits I didn't get it but then the first time I properly sit down, sat down and watched it at maybe 16, 17 uh, I thought it was really really good and the more I watched it the more I enjoyed it um, but there were lots of these types of shows that I, I didn't discover at the time it's kind of the same with Partridge uh, I very much discovered them later I mean, it, yeah, I'm worried about Partridge because it's the same thing. And I think you'll like I Partridge think, more. I think less redeemable, really. Yeah, <sighs> I think I. I don't know. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll fucking hate it actually. But <laughs> Partridge is really good. Um, so I, I do think this is absolutely excellent. Like it, it's impressively good for these mm. two guys with with no actual background for writing and filming and directing, who really have no idea what they're doing. They said it wasn't really improv much, but it was because uh, they kind of wrote it in an improv-y way. Like they would just talk to each other and then write it down. That they didn't then change much more after that. I think it's kind of ridiculous that they were able to make this. It's it's just so good. And they were so, um, like, uh, so fixed on it being their vision. They were incredibly stubborn and, you know, wouldn't let it be changed, wouldn't let it be kind of directed by anyone else. They were like, nope, it, we're writing it, we're directing it, we're doing it. It's going to be our way or no way. And for two, you know, inexperienced guys to come along and do that and to put something down and it to be such, such a big hit is absolutely insane and it makes you just uh, crazy props for that is it that you're, you're not wrong like do you know what gervais and and merchant did sort of largely before this uh yeah all sorts of things um uh Mer they got they met in the radio uh basically uh gervais was hired to kind of run a radio thing uh, as like a radio producer didn't really know what he's doing hired merchant as a as basically the one to actually do the work because he didn't know what he was doing Right. Um, and they basically dotted around from there. Uh, it was as a result of 
them feeling filming the pilot for this that Gervais then got a few other comedy writing and performing gigs which then actually got the thing made in kind of a weird chicken and eggy situation it's like this right. got him a like making this got him a few jobs which then got this made properly uh so they were they but, were really normal joes they weren't really in comedy at all either of them not really no they they really weren't they thought themselves as kind of funny guys but they weren't I think they would like to have been. I mean, you know, Merchant said he would have wanted to be a a, the, a writer and director of a sitcom, but I don't think he'd really thought about how he'd get there. Mm. Uh, it was certainly big stretches. So for them to come out with this and do it together is nuts. Like, it, it's absolutely insane. And it is so, so good in the details. Like, really great. And when we, I compare it to the other shows we've watched, how many of them do we go, well, after a few episodes, I kind of started to get it, or I heard the second series is better, etc., etc. There's probably only three or four series we've done. I'm thinking, I mean, you can't even count Blackadder because series one was atrocious. So you're talking about, I don't know, Young Ones isn't a really obvious one, but there's not many where you're, after just a couple of episodes, just going, this is brilliant. I get it. I, I'm laughing continuously. I completely get what it's trying to do. It's completely fully thought through and rounded out. Very, very few shows have, that we've looked at can you say that about. Pretty much every show has needed dramatic improvement over time, where this feels like it was pretty fully formed straight away. And that is, that, that as we've seen, is very rare. For something yeah. to be so funny straight off the bat, even though I didn't, you know, I didn't didn't get it uh, in in the same manner. Uh, it is very well rounded. Like it is, like you say, it's very very well formed. It, it feels uh, it feels very well executed, and all the ingredients for it. It feels like a very good, professional, well written uh, thing that just comes together beautifully in in the sort of production. So that I can. Mm hugely appreciate um for sure i mean i think probably faulty towers was another one that we did that that's obviously great straight off the bat but mm-hmm. it it's definitely the exception rather than the rule uh and there aren't many shows i think you know faulty towers and young ones are kind of interesting comparisons because they're these great shows that were funny straight away they only did two series and then they disappeared uh and that's kind of the same with this and there's something to be said with that when it's that right straight away and it's so big on details that it is better to maybe do less because that's always the question, right? Is should there have been more? Could you have got more out of it? And and maybe with all of those shows, but when when it's all about the kind of full picture and and there being so many laughs and there being subtle elements and big obvious pieces and some things that are very larger than life... I think it would have been very difficult to drag that out, uh, despite, of course, what they've done in the US version, which is yeah, you know, I don't, obviously exce- I don't know. excessively long. Yeah, I don't know how you like continue the intrigue here. Like it, it just got more crazy and wild with some of the things in series two, like an additional series, like keeping up that sort of idea and adding some of the shock value and where you go from there would be really hard. So I think they mm. did a really clever thing to sort of do it nail it and then just let it be and and obviously Gervais has had so many projects since then and uh you know he's a bit of a staple of 
um, the British sort of comedy scene and also now like the drama scene. So uh, I think it was also great in terms of the giving him creative and artistic license to do further things. And it's crazy to think that one of his next shows after this out of nowhere and him being a nobody, he pulls some of the biggest names in Hollywood into a show for extras, which again, amazing concept. Uh, and how wild that you could be a nobody and after a few years now bringing on like, you know, who was in it like Daniel Radcliffe or Patrick Stewart or crazy. Samuel like, L. Jackson, what? Ben Stiller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you know how crazy. he got all of he got you know how he got every single one of them? They all loved the office. Oh yeah. That's that's the only reason they all did it. Like every single one of them was like, Oh yeah, the office, that's amazing. Of course I want to be on that guy's next show. Like Gervais's entire career uh, he could have just lived off this, basically, and done a few bits and pieces here and there. He didn't need to carry on doing series and stand-up shows and whatever. Like, you know, it's like classic never have to interview or audition again. He was kind of set for life. And he did a couple of things that weren't great. Like he did that Netflix film that was pretty bang average. The, even the the David Brent film, Life on the Road, was nostalgically interesting, but not particularly good i have seen it mm. so it's not like everything with these characters is gold but this really is a is very good and if you have never watched it because you're not a fan or at the time you're you're a bit like a jamie you thought it was too popular and it was it was cooler to not like it um give it another go because uh it is just very good it's really really funny i i really enjoyed it like it was very nice uh to to have a show that was very as funny as this and it was quite long like these are full-on 29 minute episodes so this was this was quite a lot for us to get through but it was no kind of a chore whatsoever complete pleasure i i enjoyed watching it for uh for the critical sort of part of it however in terms of my laugh o meter uh I didn't laugh hugely at this. I was constantly chuckling at the side characters, but I don't think I was like losing my shit on my knees, laughing out loud, like really loud. It it constantly kept me amused. Um, but yeah, I struggled to, to call it like hugely funny because it didn't, it didn't just hit that note for me. Um, because the subtle things are subtle and the big things didn't quite land, but yeah. I think we've um I think we've said probably more than enough on the office. Yeah, lo- long ep. Let's uh let's get cracking and choose our next episode. Uh you're the one picking. I'm selecting the random number. I mean, I'm reading it out. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, uh I believe four, 49 options. I believe 49 options. So many winners and so many losers in this. Have you randomised? Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot we did that. Yeah, you randomise the list each time. That way I can't pick a number from the last time I looked at the list that I liked. So Collusion. it's double random, double blind random here, people. We don't mess around. Okay, good to go. I know Ready? ones I want. Yeah. Oh, 49. Bottom of the list. Ooh. What weird scrolling, one to pick out? Scrolling. 
Oh, this this is going to be a really interesting one. I'm kind of looking forward to this, although I think it's not going to be amazing. Um, Birds of a Feather. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. So one of those shows that came at a time where everyone just watched everything because there was only a couple of channels around. Uh, so I remember watching it a lot and thinking it was quite funny, but I think it's going to really struggle in, in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, good luck finding it. Jesus. Yeah, right. So Birds of, well, Birds of Feathers is 1989 to 2020. Hang on. Yeah, they Hang also on. just did a little, they did like a one-off special. Series 12. Jesus. Wow. There was 12 seasons of this. <laughs> That's shocking. Um, rated not too too bad. I'm just trying to have a look at, uh, it's 129 episodes. Jesus. Jesus. I did not know it was quite like this. I don't know why it says I'll... 2020, because I can't see anything after 2016. All right, weird. But I do know that they had a, a reprise um, reasonably recently. Yeah, it was, that, it was 14. There was that same period that they did, like, the Young Hyacinth and the Re... And the... Uh, um, Goodnight, sweetheart. Like reboot. Like BBC went and did everything right. Wow! So it had series one to nine from eighty nine to ninety eight, spanning ten years, and then it didn't do anything for sixteen years. We get season ten, eleven, and two thousand and fourteen, and then the last season, two thousand and sixteen. They really stretched Actually, that out. That's been I mean, going for not, thirty years. It's not even on BritBox, which is weird. Oh yeah, yeah. Ominous. Well, this is gonna be fun. Um, chances are you can probably uh, pay for it on Amazon. But um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, Birds of a Feather is, uh, as you said, um, it's a three ladies comedy. Um, one of them's a, a, a bit common. One of them's a bit old, uh, and one of them's a bit fat, I guess. <laughs> um, but I remember watching <laughs> that, that, quite a bit. What? That was re- interestingly reductive. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to paint a little picture for people that haven't seen it. Um, but I've I've watched a, f- a few uh, episodes of this. I, I guess Mum must have reasonably liked it because I definitely saw it on the TV a bit. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I remember watching it and kind of enjoying it at the time. Um, it's one of those, it's so forgotten that I'm amazed it found its way onto the list, quite frankly. Yeah, but it, it 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 certainly fits in there. It's definitely uh, within the remit. Mm. Yeah, no, let's um, let's do it. Interesting. All right, so uh, series one. I don't think it's going to be our most popular episode, but <laughs> series one no, is going to be. This might be. Um, so we need to be careful. <laughs> After we've got this first... big, 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 massive monster, people are going to come to the end of their first episode of ours and then be like, "Birds of the Who." Yeah. Um. Well, we will. Uh, get into this uh, very, very early 90s slash late 80s series uh, next time. Hopefully you've enjoyed some of our takes on The Office, some potentially controversial uh, opinions, um, but all around uh, a lot of appreciation for uh, this just hugely massive, influential UK comedy. So hopefully you you enjoyed some of our take on it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks as always, Jay. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Catch you later. I wrote this. I I only play songs I've written myself. You went home to get it. 
thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, forward slash Only Fools Brothers, or on Twitter, we're at Only Fools Bros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at onlyfoolsbrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye. I've opened your eyes. You're now colorblind. Racial. So, she's the serpent who guards the gates of hell. Pretty girl on the hood of a Cadillac, yeah. She's broken down on Freeway 9. Take a look, get her engine started. Leave a purring and a roll on bye, bye, bye. Free love on the free love freeway. The love is free and the freeway is long. I've got some hot love on.